You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. It is good to be with you today. I'm excited to be able to open up God's Word with you uh, this morning as well. So if you have a copy of Scripture, I encourage you to turn it to the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to be hanging out in chapter 14 today. Uh, If you don't have a copy of God's Word, uh, I'd encourage you just to turn to page 960 in our Pew Bibles. Um, We we encourage everyone to have a copy of God's Word in front of them, just to be able to dig into God's Word uh, themselves. And so you can take take Scripture for what you're reading and not just what you're hearing from us. And so we, again, encourage you to follow along with us um, as we walk through this portion. Those of you who have found it already, see that we are going to cover 40 verses today. Yeah, there'll be a brief, you know, intermission about ten, halfway through. You guys can go get snacks and get everything. I'm just kidding. It shouldn't be that bad. Um, but over the last three weeks, uh, we have been on this journey with Paul, um, beginning in chapter 12, um, concerning spiritual gifts. And in chapter 12, we, we learn that, that each believer at the moment of conversion has been given a spiritual gift by the Holy Spirit. It's been given for them for the good of the church. They don't get to choose what gift they receive. That is, that, that is assigned to them by the Holy Spirit. Um, the back end of, of chapter 12, Paul uses the analogy of the body, the church being, being a body of believers, and every part is crucial. Every spiritual gift has a place, and, and the church is functioning at, at, it, at its greatest capacity. When each person is, is doing their parts. So each person, no matter what spiritual gift you have, each person is both needed and needy. They are needed within the body of Christ, but then they also are needy. They need other people. And so Paul outlined that the church is at its best when each person is using their spiritual gift to serve the body of Christ. And last week, Pastor Dan walked us through chapter 13, which just which put it in its context. Um, we see that we use our spiritual gifts based upon the principle of love. That love is patient, love is, love is kind, love puts other needs before themselves. And so we see that our spiritual gifts are not about us. They're about, they're about the body, they're about each other, and we should, we should live accordingly. So in chapter 14, Paul now addresses what spiritual gifts, what part spiritual gifts should play when the church gathers together for worship especially the gifts of tongues and prophecy. Now, get it out of your system. This is not going to be 10 reasons why we should be speaking tongues today. And this won't be a sermon about 10 reasons why we shouldn't be speaking tongues today. Pretty sure John MacArthur's got a conference about that coming up. So if you're about that, go, go do, do your thing. That's not what today is going to be about. Chapter 14 has to do with the gathered body of believers. And so we're going to see that in this chapter, Paul lays out three guidelines for when we gather together. We should build each other up. When we gather, we should break down barriers. And when we gather, we should reflect God's character. So look, we're not going to walk through every single verse here. But what I want to do today is highlight three things, those three things that I just talked about. So we're, we're going to walk through specific portions of the chapter, um, and we're going to see what God has for us today. So this message has been on my calendar for a long time, 
up there with like that talk I did on, about on sex a couple months ago. It was like sex and tongues. This was like, all right, these are my two big ones. Pastor Mike had to cover head coverings and everything else. This is my, this is my thing. So I, didn't, I don't think it was that way at first. Something changed in the schedule, and so this one landed in my lap. So let me just pray that God would guide our time through chapter 14 today. Um, Heavenly Father God, God, we love you. And we know, Lord, that you give us, Father, your word for our good, for our instruction, um, to tell us how we should live, at, not only as individuals, but as a body of believers together. And God, we believe that you are present here within this church family. We're so thankful for each one that has called Grace Bible Church to their spiritual home. But God, today, may we just lean on and learn from what you have for us. God, may we just lay, lay things aside and just let your word speak for itself. And Father, I pray, Lord, that in all of this, I will get out of the way and just let this chapter speak, God, for, what you, for how you intended it to be and that we would walk away, God, glorifying your son Jesus, being thankful, God, for this body of believers and having a clear vision of what we should do moving forward as we gather together. So we love you, Father. I pray, Lord, that you would just give me clarity and confidence as we walk through this portion. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. So as before, Paul's going to spend a lot of time talking about the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy this morning. So before we even get there, I want to lay the foundation and define what each of those are. So let's start with the gift of tongues. So there are three major views on understanding the gift of tongues. The first view is that some believe that this is a miraculous ability to speak another human language. We see this in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down on Jesus' followers and they were actually able to speak foreign languages, the languages of the people that, people that were in attendance to that festival. People thought that they were drunk and that they were crazy, but they were understanding these followers were speaking languages that, that they had never learned before, but, but they were proclaiming the goodness of the gospel and the fact that Jesus Christ has come, had come, died, and rose again from the grave. So that's one part, being able to miraculously speak another human language. Another belief is that tongues refer to an angelic language that humans cannot understand. Whether it's used in, in, in private prayer or praise or in a public gathering, they believe that, some people believe that when people speak in tongues, they're actually speaking the language of angels. Other people believe that the gift of tongues is a static speech where it just comes out of you because you're overcome by emotion, but it's not associated with any language. Listen, there are books written upon this and all these different views, but this is our working definition for today. It says, the gift of tongues is the ability brought on by the Holy Spirit to speak in a language that one does not previously know or understand. So moving forward as, with our time today, this is the framework, the definition that we're going to be working when it comes to the gift of tongues. So the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy can be defined as the ability brought on by the Holy Spirit to proclaim God's word in a powerful and timely way into a specific situation. 
So when we think of prophecy, we all, oftentimes we think of prophets, right, that are, that are foretelling what God would do in the future. That's part of prophecy. But prophecy isn't, all, isn't only foretelling, it's also forthtelling. It's a gift of taking the truths of God's word and powerfully applying them to life. It is knowing exactly what to say when someone needs to be instructed, encouraged, or strengthened in their walk with God. It is the knack of knowing where to take people in Scripture and having the confidence to proclaim it. How many of you have people in your life that no matter what is going on, they know what truths you need to hear? They remind you about something about the finished work of Christ in the gospel. They, they know as they listen to you, they know exactly where to take you in God's word. And I believe that these people have the gift of prophecy where it's a Holy Spirit thing, where it's like in, in, in a moment they say, this is what this person needs to hear. And they do it clearly. They do it in a language that they can understand. And they allow the truth of God's word to speak and to move that person's hearts. That's what I think the gift of prophecy is. So now that we've defined the tongues and prophecy, let's see how Paul discusses these gifts within the context of our worship gatherings. So I want to read the first five verses of 1 Corinthians 14. Would you just follow along with me as I read? So Paul says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he, utter, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Here we go. So, in, this, in these verses, church, I believe we find our first guideline for how we, how we should worship together on a Sunday morning. The first thing that we should do is that when we gather, we should build others up. That term, build others up, that term, encouragement, edify, is used throughout this chapter. It is probably one of Paul's greatest themes, used at least four times. So Paul keeps going back to, as he has gone, done in, in chapter 12 and chapter 13, that listen, that you have to build others up, that you live for the good of other people. And there's two ways that we can build others up according to these verses. The first is that we pursue love. Pursue love. Verse 1, it says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So chapter 13 paints this beautiful picture of what love is. And Paul, as he's writing this, there is no doubt that there's no doubt that he intended 13 to be in between chapter 12 and chapter 14. The way that we gather together, the way that we treat each other has got to be controlled by love. So Paul wanted to lay that foundation before getting to this chapter. But chapter 13 paints a beautiful picture of what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. 
It puts the needs of others before itself. So what Paul is saying is that you pursue this. You want this above everything else. When you come into church on a Sunday morning, you come looking for ways to encourage, build up, and to strengthen someone else. The second thing I want you to notice here is that Paul prioritizes prophecy. Paul says in verse 5, it says, Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. So Paul isn't saying that you shouldn't speak in tongues. Paul is saying, but I want you to prophesy more. He's putting a priority on prophesying over tongues. And there's a reason for that. So Paul prioritizes prophecy because of the greater benefits upon the body. If someone spoke in tongues without an interpreter, no one would understand what, what was being said. No one. If someone prophesied in their language, though, their words could build up, encourage, and strengthen others without needing an interpreter. So Paul just says on practical levels, I want you all to speak in tongues, but I want you to prophesy more because it has the capability of building up and influencing more people to, to strengthen their hearts, to encourage their faith. Paul says, I would rather you speak in a language where they didn't need an interpreter, where you just brought God's word to them. So the application point here concerns the attitude each of us should have when we gather together. See, the, the Corinthian church had prioritized tongues over everything else. And they often abused them, speaking without an interpreter and disregarding their effect on the rest of the church. Can you, can you imagine attending a church service in Corinth where you walk in and everyone wants to speak in tongues. No one has an interpreter. So they're speaking in a language with, with words that you do not understand. And you walk away feeling, what did I just go to? How does that encourage my heart? I don't even understand what, what, what was being said. Without an interpreter, none of that matters. So we need to understand that we build up the church when we put the needs of others before our own. Were, were the gift of, are the gifts of tongues real? Of course they are. are did, did God empower those people to speak in a different language? I think he did. But without an interpreter, even though they wanted to use that gift and, and show that gift to others, without an, an interpreter, it didn't benefit anyone else. So when we gather together, something that we can pull out of this is that when we gather together, we put the needs of others before our own. Listen, I, we beat the drum, but I'm going to say one more time. So that means when we come, we leave the best parking spots for someone else if we can. When, when we gather in, we, 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 we leave the best seats, the best seats available for other people. We think of other people before ourselves. When, when we gather together, we find ways to serve other people so that other needs may be met. We put our, put our own wants and desires aside for the good of someone else. We build up the body. And it is easy to promote ourselves, to boast about the gifts God has given us, and demand to use them in situations that are not beneficial to the rest of the church. I believe that God has gifted myself, Mike, and Dan, and our elders, and our teaching team here. I think 
the, the gift of teaching. But what would happen if Pastor Mike stood up to preach one Sunday and he's getting ready to start and I said, yo, Mike, nope, don't listen to him. Listen to me over here. And I stand up wherever I am and I start preaching something. What good would that do? And I think God has given all of us this desire to share God's word, but he's also given us the command to put other people first and allow you to hear other voices and allow, allow you to be encouraged by other people. We've said it before. I understand that not everyone connects with how I preach or, or Mike or Dan or, or our elders. So we put that aside knowing that, hey, it's good for you guys to listen to other people. It is good for you to have other voices. And if this seems, this seems too crazy, let me remind you of the attitude and approach of Jesus. Church, in, in, Matthew, in Mark 10.45, it states that Jesus came to serve, not to be served. Jesus lived for the good of others and went to the cross so that we might have life. May this be a place, our gathering, where we regularly die to ourselves putting aside our wants and desires to do what is best for the building up of someone else and benefits the body of Christ. Friends, that is why we're here, to build each other up, and we want to do the best that we can to do things that benefit others. So that first guideline is we, we build each other up when we gather together. The second guideline we find here is that when we gather, we should break down barriers. I want to show you something in, in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 6 through 12. I want to, Paul shows us why this is so important. Verse 6, it says, Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless, doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Friends, Paul says here that one of the barriers that come with the gift of tongues without an interpreter is that the spoken words carry no meaning, creating an actual barrier between the, the one speaking and the rest of the audience. Let me illustrate how important this is. I'm going to walk over to the piano. Never done this before. I mean, I played the piano a little bit, but whatever. So. What I'm going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to play something. And I want, I want to see who can guess what, what I'm playing, okay? I've worked really hard on this. Carol, eat your heart out. Here we go. <laughs> you guys know what song that is, right? You guys know what that is? All right, one more time, one more time. What do we got? 
I was, yeah, nothing. Good. I was so afraid I was going to hit a button and like real music was going to play and everything would be ruined. All right, but what about this? And I, I thought about this last night. I was like, I should have learned how to play something, but I can't play anything. And so I'm just going to hum something. All right, let's see. Bum, 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 bum. What's that? Jingle bells. I thought I heard veggie tales. I was like, what in the world? <laughs> yes, all right. Jingle bells. Good. Thank you. I was like, the illustration worked. And everyone, no one got hurt. Perfect. So the first thing, when I played on the piano, what was sort of music, no one could understand it, right? Because those notes meant nothing. We only recognize songs when certain notes are put together in a sequence with timing and everything. That's what makes music. So friends, what Paul is saying here is that if someone is speaking in tongues and you don't know what it means, it doesn't move your heart. Movement only happens when, when meaning first occurs. You are able to recognize jingle bells, and maybe some of you, you started thinking about Christmas, and you're already thinking about, man, I got gifts to buy and everything else, and so sorry about that extra stress on you today. But you recognize the song because I know those notes when they're played together. And church, I think what Paul is getting at here is that movement is brought on by meaning. And you can't be moved by words that you don't understand. See, Paul says we should desire to communicate the truths of Scripture clearly instead of wishing to speak in tongues. Charles Spurgeon has this quote, and I love it. It says, Jesus said, feed my sheep, not feed my giraffes. What he means by that is that giraffes have these tall necks high from the ground, whereas sheep have almost no necks and stay very close to the ground. Spurgeon would often say this to, to, to preachers that were in training. What he means by that is that when we gather, we must communicate Scripture so clearly that anyone could understand it. You'll notice in the way that we preach, we rarely use big theological terms or ancient languages because it often doesn't help people connect to what the Bible actually says. And we believe that God's word is the most important message that anyone could ever hear, understand, and believe in. So each of our pastors, our teachers, our communicators, we work hard to put the cookies on the bottom shelf, as Billy Graham would say, where people can relate to and understand the saving message of Jesus. So part of, part of this chapter and part of our sermon, my sermon today, is just to get, give you a little bit of a behind-the-scenes look of why we do what we do. What we do, we work hard helping people understand the good news of the gospel and making scripture come to life in a relatable and clear way. And I want to show you the power behind that when that happens. Look, look with me at verse 23 through 25. So it says, If therefore the whole church comes together and all speaks in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. 
the secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. So Paul, Paul just, paints, just paints this picture. And he says, if the church gathers together and everyone is speaking in tongues and an unbeliever or a visitor comes in and this is all they see and they know nothing more, they may not even stay. I mean, these guys are out of their minds. They are crazy, and they'll leave before they ever hear the good news of the gospel. But he said, on the contrary, if they come in and they hear someone prophesying, remember prophecy is powerfully speaking and proclaiming God's word in a clear way into a specific situation. And someone is up here sharing God's word and saying, this is why you need the gospel in this area of your life. This is who God is. This is what God has called us to do in a clear way that is understood by everyone there. That unbeliever, it says, that unbeliever, their hearts, they, they could be, he could be convicted. He is, the secrets of his heart are disclosed and falling on his face. He will worship God and say that God is really among them. Friends, Hebrews 4.12 states that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the soul, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the hearts. And when an unbeliever hears the word of God spoken clearly and powerfully, it can bring conviction, reveal sin, and draw them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I'll tell you a story. Uh, one, one of my friends growing up, uh, his name was Chuck. Is Chuck. He's still around. Um, but Chuck actually came from more of a Pentecostal charismatic background. Um, church, spoken tongues, the whole, people were slain in the spirit, the whole nine yards. Um, and I grew up not that. Very Baptist, pretty boring, very bland, uh, very conservative. Like I said before, you'll never see me clap and sing at the same time because I can't. I have no rhythm in my body. I don't dance at weddings. I don't want to make a fool of myself. So that's it. That's my upbringing. And so I remember inviting Chuck to, to a summer camp. Uh, very boring, very just very bare bones, not, not a lot of flash. But, but the speaker, I think it was on a Wednesday night, shared the, shared the gospel. That night, Chuck got saved without any flash, without any craziness, just simply the power of the Word of God. Friends, we break down barriers when we share God's Word clearly and invite people in. That last key is so important. Sometimes, a lot of us, we underestimate the power when we clearly and compassionately share the truths of Scripture. We think that we need to do all these added things for it to make real life change. People are not looking for flash. They're not looking for something incredible. They want to know that there's a God. That there's a God who knows them. That there's a God who loves them. And that he offers hope for their broken lives. So friends, point people back to Scripture. Tell them the hope of the gospel. And watch God work in their midst. 
that has been the avenue, that has been the process he has used time and time again to bring people to himself. The simple truth, the saving message of the gospel that we are all sinners and we cannot get to God on our own. But God loved us so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, who lived a perfect life, who died in our place for our sins, and took our punishment upon himself and rose three days later from the, from, from the dead, defeating sin and grave. And he's now ascended at the right hand of God. And he offers salvation to anyone who places their faith and trust solely and completely in him. That is what changes people. That is what brings people who are dead to newness of life. So we share God's word clearly and we invite people in. I want to show you one more guideline from chapter 14. It's found in verses 26 through 33. Let's follow, just follow along as I read this together. So it says, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. You see that in there again? If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn. And let someone interpret for them. But if there is no one to interpret, let each one of them keep silent in church, and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. And if a revelation is made to, to another sitting there, let, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets, for God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. Some of you are like, what, you're not going to talk about the part about women being quiet in church? Not today. <laughs> for another time. Yeah. But I want to point out something here. See, Paul describes what these gatherings would look like, and Paul goes back to the fact that when we gather, we should reflect God's character. Paul walks through, and then Paul walks through what he says. He says, Paul describes what these gatherings would look like. In verse 26, Paul says to allow each person to come ready to share something, to encourage and build someone else up. Now granted, in this context, it could be a little hard. Can you imagine 500 of y'all coming up here and sharing something? We would be all day. I would not be the longest preacher anymore. We may try that sometime. I'm just kidding. We won't. There, there's other ways where, where that can be done. Personal conversations, opportunities to serve in a small group setting where we encourage people to share. But in this context, this is what they would do. But then Paul goes on. And he says, if someone has a tongue to share, there were, there were, there were stipulations set down. Paul doesn't say, let no one speak in tongues, but he does say this. He says, only two or three tongues were to be spoken. And all had to be accompanied by an interpreter. If there wasn't an interpreter, someone with a gift of interpretation, though those people who had a tongue to share should just speak it to themselves, but not to the church. But notice that this wasn't a static speech or utterances throughout the service. There wasn't people being slain in the spirit all over, all over the pews and all down, down through... Throughout the aisles, this was an ordered and an intentional service. 
Now listen, this makes some of us from a more maybe Baptistic or, or conservative background kind of uncomfortable. Because Paul doesn't say, don't do it. And I, I want to encourage you to stay out of two camps. The first camp is to think that all must speak in tongues. There's some churches or some people that, that, that believe that, that speaking in tongues is actually a sign that you've received salvation or that you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit. We don't see that example in Scripture. Actually, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 30, Paul says, not everyone will speak in tongues. But he said, not all of you. He's talking to believers. So the Apostle Paul says, not everyone is going to speak in tongues. And so the, the extreme camp that thinks that everyone must speak in tongues, let's not be there. But the other camp, the other point of view is that God never uses tongues anymore. And I want to encourage you today that maybe we shouldn't stay there either. And hear me out. Friends, I've heard of too many testimonies of people whom God spoke to in visions and dreams and spoken in tongues. Or God used someone to speak in tongues to share the gospel in, in a language that they never knew. So just because there are a lot of counterfeit manifestations doesn't mean the real doesn't exist. So whatever you believe about tongues, note, the, note that Paul gives a reasoning for an intentional, controlled, organized service. And we see it in verse 33. He says, for God is a God of confusion, is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. Friends, think about the creation story in Genesis 1 and 2. Does God create everything in one shot and throw it all on there and say, good luck? No. Because every day God methodically created stars and the planets and the sun and the moon and the, and the vegetation and the animals and, and, and the first, first humans. God did it in order. There was, a, there was an intentionality about what he did. Look at, look at our bodies. Did God just throw our bodies together? All the intricate details of our bodies? No, God placed every single organ, every single blood vessel, every single piece of muscle or tissue. He knew exactly what he was doing. So our worship gatherings should reflect God's character of order and peace. We do not serve a God of confusion. We do not serve a God of chaos. We serve a God of order. And God doesn't want our, our worship gatherings together to, to be disruptive, to be distracting from people who need to hear the gospel. God wants us to reflect who he is. And friends, I believe that we reflect God's character when our worship is ordered and intentional. Listen, if you've visited other churches, every church kind of does things differently. And there is some flexibility and there is some, some gray area on how to organize our worship gatherings together. We've even changed things here over the years. But I want you to know this, that each part of our worship service is composed with purpose and intentionality. Each song, 
is picked out to lift our hearts to the glories of Christ. Each scripture reading isn't just a transition between songs or some filler time. It's a truth that we desperately need to be reminded of. Each prayer time is designed to allow us to spend personal time with God. And each sermon is written to encourage and equip you to bring you closer to Jesus. So it may not be exciting to some, but we believe our gathering should be known for order and peace instead of confusion and chaos. So we've walked through three different guidelines today. We've walked through that when we gather, we should build each other up. When we gather, we should break down barriers and speak the gospel clearly. And when we gather, we should reflect God's character of order and peace. And when I thought about application, I just kind of struggled. I, I kind of was like, all right, well, what's, what's our next steps? What do we do? Um, we're not going to create a committee to see how we do our services here. We're not going to um, do anything like that. But there is something that you folks can do. You guys can pray. And we can pray together as a body, as a body of believers that God continues to work here within our church. And, and I want to walk you through three prayers. These are three prayers that you guys can pray for our gathering. So I, I would encourage you to write these down and, and um, incorporate them into your prayer life. The first prayer is that God help this be a place where people are edified and built up. We want this to be a place. We want this church to be a family where people can come in, know that they're loved, know that other people want the very best for them, and they leave here doing that for someone else as well. So God, help us be a place where people are, are edified and built up. Secondly, God, help this be a place where God's word is clearly communicated. This, to me, man, when I, when I hear people praying, that, hey, I'm praying that God uses you this week to speak what his word says. There is no better prayer. I need all the help I can get. And our pastors do as well. We want this to be a place where, where God's word stands above all else. We don't want to preach opinions. We don't want to preach ideas. We want to preach what this word says. You pray that that happens. And lastly, Lord, help this to be a place where people know and see God through our worship. What I want people to know, my desire, I want people to walk away from a worship service here at Grace saying, man, I don't get it. And there's certain things, I don't even know if I, if I believe all this stuff, but those people believe in and worship Jesus Christ. I want people walking away amazed at the goodness of God, not how crazy our people are. I don't want, to, I don't want our actions to stand in the way of someone seeing who Christ really is. So we pray that when people come, that they know and see who God is through how we worship and gather together. So I want to do just that. As I close, I want to invite the prayer team and the praise team forward. 
And I just want to spend, spend a moment praying. And as I pray, I would encourage you to, to, to do the same thing. That we lift up our body. That we, that we pray that God would move within our midst and keep us faithful to what his word says. So let's pray and then we'll sing one more song. So Father, God, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you, God, for your word, even the hard passages like 1 Corinthians 14. God, I pray, Lord, that you would use this place to lift people up, to encourage them, Father, that they would clearly hear the good news of Jesus. God, that this would be a place where you bring, you draw people to yourself and that they trust you as their Lord and Savior. I pray, God, that this would be a place where we put aside our own wants and desires and, and, and put Jesus on the highest pedestal that we can. And God, I pray, Lord, that even how we worship, how we sing, how we listen, how we serve, how we interact with each other, God, that, that even in those things, we would be pointing people to who you are, Father, that we would reflect your character, reflect your goodness, and that people would walk away from this place, God, with a better view, a bigger view of who you are. We love you, God. We love this church. And we love each individual here, Father. Would you move in their hearts? And may we work together, God, to advance the kingdom of Jesus here within our valley. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.